0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: What we need to realize is that our girls are being bombarded. It's with um, the feminist narrative about uh, what path they should take in life. So just as an example, in school, when I was teaching at schools, the option of... if saying that you know what after i after i've um studied up to whatever level the girl wanted to i'd like to get married i want to settle down i want to own a family i want to take care of my husband my children i'll take care of myself my dean that's what i want to do you know and and even just to say that 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 a girl that option is not even presented to them it's not even available so they never where so they don't even think of it as a good thing
2: My guest today is my wife Farah Amin. She is an author and host of the podcast Smart Muslimer. Through her engagements, Farah addresses the challenges Muslim women and girls face in Western societies. Her writings delve into the unfiltered realities tackling pressing topics such as the shifting dynamics of the Muslim marriage scene, the objectification of hijab and the unforeseen impact of modern feminism on women's well-being. Through her meticulous research and insightful analysis, she offers a fresh perspective on these topics, encouraging readers to question long-held assumptions and engage in meaningful dialogue. Today, we're going to explore the issues she raises in her book, Smart Teenage Muslimer: An Inspirational Guide for Muslim Girls. Farhad is concerned with the challenges Muslim girls face in the West and how society impacts their sense of selves and identity. Assalamu salamu alaykum wa and welcome to The Thinking Muslim.
1: Wa It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Well, it's great and it's great to have you with us. And I think it's a really interesting topic and I think very pertinent for uh, Muslims living in the West. Now, your audience uh, is largely teenage Muslim girls, I presume. Mm-hmm. What drew you to address this topic? Like, what's the problem you're trying to address?
1: Well, I think many people can observe, uh, and it's not just myself that is observing this, that Muslim girls have been given a very clear message, and that is that Islam is a problem in their lives, that they would be happier and more confident uh, if they placed less emphasis on following the rules of Islam. Mm. And that's something that is consistently, it's a message that they are consistently given through a variety of methods, you know, mainly through popular culture, whether that's books, young adult fiction, Netflix shows, and... Just to give you an example of that, there was, uh, in 2018, there was a Netflix show called Elite. And in there was a character, her name's Nadia. She's a hijabi and she comes from a, you know, a Muslim background. And she begins off very studious and she's not really interested in, you know, going out with people. But as the show progresses, what they show is that she gains confidence, becomes more independent and, you know, goes through this journey of seeking, you know, her own um, identity and she becomes like uh, the best version of herself. Only when she starts to like lose her hijab, she she stops wearing hijab. She get, starts dating a non-Muslim guy, and the it's a very clear message that the that a Muslim girl is being given through that show that you will be so much happier if you are more like your non-Muslim friends. And that's not the only show. There was um, in 2019 there was a, a movie, an Apple movie. It's called Hala. Um, It got a lot of publicity. And again, very similar messages where this time it's an American um, Pakistani girl and there's a lot of conflict between her and her family, Uh, her being, is she Muslim? Is she American? And, um, you know, wanting to fit in in high school. And again, the same old tropes of she gets a boyfriend, she then removes her hijab. And they're just two examples of the problem that I'm trying to push back against where That's the message given to young women. And what I'm saying through the book is actually that is not true. Adopting um, this very liberal, secular way of life and a very promiscuous way of life as well, actually, it will not lead to happiness. And there are very few books uh, or even just a discussion about the way we're focusing on that problem in particular that our girls, I think there's more um uh, Boys face this as well. um You know, I, I speak to parents that say they have similar issues that they're tackling with their boys. But there seems to be a, a focus on changing the way young women feel about Islam and whether it's wearing hijab, but it's more than that. It really is, you know, about you need to, you will re- truly be happy and find your true uh purpose in life when you let go of religion.
2: So, who's responsible for? Uh, pursuing or for presenting this message you've talked about Netflix and so is it Hollywood is it popular culture that's trying to change Muslim girls and make them feel that the only way they can seek confidence is if they dispense with Islam or where is it coming from
1: well it's interesting um I'll just these shows for example the when they're commissioned it's interesting you will never and I asked people on on um on social media can you give me an example of a show or movie which Represents Islam in a young girl's life in a positive way, where it helps her overcome her challenges, or let's say it's uh, a revert to Islam where they then their life is better once they become Muslim. Mm. And no one could think of any. They they no one could think of one. Uh, and I've actually, my birds. I'm thinking, having been grown up and raised in the UK, mm. this is a message I got when I was a teenager. I'm thinking of Baji on the beach. You know, even Grange Hill, which was a, a um, that's a really old program now. But there's a character called Aisha. And she was the only Muslim character. I still, I still remember her. And again, it was all about conflict with um, her religion, conflict with her parents, and she again gets a, um, her savior is this white um, boyfriend. She, so, so as far as where is it coming from? It seems to me, uh, and again, but we can see this. This is based on fact and based on what you, you know, looking at the the movies and programs that when. Uh, liberal, secular, you know, kind of executives of programs, when they're deciding, when okay, we're going to have a Muslim character, they decide that is what is going to happen. She is going to, it's going to be anti-Islam. She will go through these um, milestones in her life. And at the end, it will always be that it's when she embraces a very secular lifestyle, um, that is when she'll be happy. and she, And she has to reject her religion to be happy. And you have we have to question why you know that yeah
2: well, why is that
1: yeah and so it's if um, if we look at if you generally look at the lifestyle that is given to um, that is offered to your average teenager and it's interesting Sue Palmer who wrote a very interesting book called I really recommend reading it it's called Twenty First Century Girls mm. she's she was a teacher and then a head teacher and for over twenty years and she analyzed and looked at what are the messages that girls your average teenage girl is given and it she she said that she looked at well okay one it's a very they have to sexualize themselves and if she again she was questioning why why are we teaching our young girls that you have to present yourself in a very promiscuous sexual manner you have to be sexually active very early and she gave lots of evidence and research on how it's actually very bad for their mental health when this happens mm. She, as a teacher she was looking at education standards that there comes this point where it i was i was quite surprised at this but i did see this as a high school teacher i did notice this myself where girls would pretend to be less intelligent than they were and the reason was that they wanted people to be liked liked by boys but they didn't want to come across as being really intelligent um especially in the stem subjects and like maths and science mm. um and she she was just very curious about this and so she, she was questioning that, she, she put the blame on certain things that it's, um, if you, it was, um, she, she blamed capitalism, that you can sell, like if you say to girls, get them to focus so much on their looks, they will you, and you kind of um, make them feel ugly, they will then be open to, well, to solve these problems. Well, here you are, you are not beautiful, you are not thin enough, your thighs are too big, your, you know, your eyelashes are not long enough. And then here you go. Here are the products, the beauty industry and the fashion industry, and then giving them these products to say this is how you solve your problems. Mm. And so she put a lot of blame onto capitalism. Um, and what she then said was that we need to protect our girls. We need to be much more. Prote- and this is a a non-Muslim academic, but much, you know, much, she's very concerned about the well-being of of young women. Mm. And so she she blamed society. That well, why are we doing this to our girls? And then she talked about the mental health aspects that it had on them. So, you know, big business is making a lot of money out of the unhappiness of young girls and the, by giving them these very unrealistic expectations about beauty. And then again, regarding the sexualization, that she was saying that she put on the blame on, again, on male dominated society that they're not, and a very, she did, she doesn't come from a religious aspect, uh, but, We can see when religion and morality is taken out of the equation, Mm. what is left, that you're allowed to then, it's you're left to your own whims and desires. And she's saying, people are taking advantage of girls here, and it's not good.
2: Right. So a girl today, I mean, a Muslim girl living in the West, because you're principally talking about the challenges Muslim girls face in the West, is going to be impacted by a barrage of messages. and, And the the strongest message mm-hmm. is a very capitalist message, which mm-hmm. is trying to sell her products uh, yeah. on the basis of her, um, her um, in, so-called inadequacies or perceived inadequacies. Mm. Um, and um, uh, the representation of Muslims in the media, Muslim mm. girls in the media, is always of Muslim girls who are in, at odds with their parents. Okay, so a Muslim girl growing up in, in London mm. uh, or in New York or in California you know, she wants to pick up a book to help her face the challenges that uh, she she faces in Union you know, in the West. Can mm. she go? You talked about Sue Palmer. I suspect mm. that's not a book for young girls. Where does she go to mm. to, to find out about how she should meet those challenges?
1: Mm. Well, if you go to Amazon and, and look at the uh, best selling books there, and that's something which I did. I, I read mm. the top five bestsellers. If you type in Teenage Girl Guide... And so these um, are guides
2: for general teenagers. Yeah, so okay. advice
1: about puberty, advice about um, just growing up, and yeah. whether it's um, relationships and body image. And um, I was before I began writing this book, I was, I was very curious to find what advice would they get, and this would be a book that parents would would buy for their children. So if, I'll just okay. give you two examples. So there's the yeah. teenage girls' guide to everything. Right. That's by S. Coombes, and a girl's guide to being awesome by S. Verdi. And so now uh, there are three main messages that, that come out there. The first thing that really struck me was how God was completely taken out of the equation. That religion is, isn't. it's like it's not even a footnote. There, there's beliefs and values that are mentioned, but um, there is no reference to whether it's Christianity or, or Islam, of course, there would never be. But that was one thing. It's just taken out. So, a girl is not, would, a young girl would think, well, that's not evil. I don't need to refer to it. That, the, the authors are telling them it's not important. That's mm-hmm. what she's, she's learning. Mm-hmm. Okay, then now the second thing is that her life is a journey. She's on this journey. And in that journey, there are, particular, there are voices and advice that she can get. But when it came to her parents, they're just one voice and she doesn't actually have to follow them. She doesn't have to follow their beliefs. She needs to create her own path. Very autonomous, very. She's unique, and and that's something that get, kept being repeated. I'll, I'll mention uh, one of the quotes from the books. "You get you get to decide who you are and what matters to you." So it's all about you. It's very individualistic, mm-hmm. and so therefore it's. And now this is like think just just remember it's like these are thirteen year old, fourteen year old girls who. What do they really know about life and what is good for them? And you're, they're already being told you're going to choose. It's your ch- choice is paramount, and so th- that's that's one um, one thing that will come. And then you have the idea of experimentation. So you're an adolescent; it's time to you can bend the rules. This whole idea of ad- adhering to the rules strictly—such rules are there to be broken. But as long as you keep yourself safe, as long as there is consent, um, that they seem to be the, the important things. But so that's the advice I'm getting. And, and when it comes to, in particular, what was concerning, and I'm thinking for from a point of uh, a young girl's safety, they're being encouraged to experiment sexually as well. So whether that's, so, uh, whether that's the same gender or um, different genders, that somehow they're on this, they need to find love. Um, but it, I just found it was putting a lot of pressure on them to go down certain paths, slightly blind and I was just thinking where is the like uh what are the principles that they're going to bait right and wrong on how do they decide what is right and wrong they're kind of, it was like they're being like told to just go and find your path and somehow things will fall in place um and that was very worrying to me because I thought if a Muslim girl any Muslim parent if they bought that book they would become be very confused by the end because it would Many of the principles were in, co- were in, co- in contradiction to Islam. Mm-hmm.
2: You were a secondary school teacher yeah. and uh, you've uh, taught presumably in schools where there are large Muslim, uh, where there's a large Muslim population. I mean, how mm-hmm. did your experience of teaching inform your analysis
1: so I worked in uh, mixed and um, so um, girl and, girls and boys are together or together, in um, single-sex schools. Mm. And it was interesting, through PSHE in particular, um,
2: PSHE Is
1: personal social health education. Okay. So that's where they kind of get to talk about, they talk about beliefs and values. Right. Now, just as an example, when it came to the the question of God, um, they would openly encourage children to have doubts about um, belief in Allah. Hmm. So, and they would say, you know, ask them questions that a young person just did not like, was not equipped to answer. So, you know, the idea of this, um, if there's a God, why is there so much misery? You know, do you, you know, if God can create uh, anything, can He create a, a, like a stone that's bigger than Him? You know, hmm. c- quite deep questions. Um, You know, the whole idea of, well, and and what they would say is, if you believe in it, you go and stand on that side. If you don't believe in it, go and stand on this side. And they would make each other argue. And again, a a young Muslim girl or boy, to be honest, I thought they just do not know how to answer this. And you've got this, you know, graduate teacher. Many of them were atheists who is, you know, purposely putting doubts in their mind and giving really like, like talking about whether it was terrorism or, you know, very difficult questions being posed to, and but always, religion was seen as was shown that it can't answer questions. question, or it was kind of said to them, "You decide. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. No one can force you what to believe in." It was always like they were given this choice to not believe in their religion, and if you're constantly being told that you've got a choice, you've got a choice. At some point, the children might going to think, actually, you know what, I maybe I won't decide. I don't want to believe in that aspect of religion or this aspect. And so that was just in PSHE. But I'll give you an example of English. The texts that would be taught, for example, um, by um, it's a Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale. That's an A-level text. Right. And that is a very... There's also the series, if, it, if anyone's watched it. And it's... I'll just give you a quick... Um, breakdown of it is that it's in it's a dystopian novel where men are in charge and religion is in charge it's a very patriarchal society and women are abused women are some women are placed to just have um forced to have babies for the rich and powerful Mm. some are forced into prostitution and it's the so again it's fiction however um it's so anti-religion and anti-men that when you read that book or when you watch the series you can't but end up Hating men, you know, you, you'll see this kind of look at your father and saying, yeah, my dad does this or any problem you've got with men. It kind of highlights it even more. But it just and it's just such a negative depiction of a, any kind of a religious society. And so, again, this is a core text that uh, will be taught. And, uh, you know, I'll be really honest with you, a lot of the teachers that I would, the female teachers in particular, they agreed with mainstream feminist ideas it was like that was the given that was the, a dominant thought and that is what would be um conveyed to the girls no other view of women's rights was ever offered to them it just didn't happen
2: so let's talk about feminism and how much does feminism impact the minds of young muslim girls
1: well it's um Okay, as, as I just said, it's, it's a dominant way of thinking when it comes right. to women's rights. And it's, uh, for those, uh, you know, I, d- I won't go into too much detail because I do go into, in, it's, it, I think if you're going to study and look at feminism, you have to do it properly. You have mm. to do it well. And so the many type branches, the most dominant is the liberal, is liberal feminism. And what you see is that so there's certain concepts. So um, um, being an individual, having the same rights um when it cut with men in everything, so that's so politi- equality. Yeah, this okay. idea, a very strong, the, like the core principle is equality when it comes to political equality, um, educational rights, when it, personal relations. It, they, they they're working for and advocating and activism is that. So, if that's what it is, then what your what then happens is if that's your like gauge for okay, when I look at anything, it has to be equal everything has to be equal mm. um and when it isn't then you see that's that is an injustice that is a problem and therefore for a muslim girl if that's what you're you're being taught that at school you're reading that kind of material you're watching the movies and shows that that is it that is all and i can uh, having grown up here that is it that is all i was given and and i know so many women who say yep that's it that's what we were given. we drip fed that and you just you just believe it. So now for um, a Muslim girl, if she's then looking at Islam, she will look at certain rules and think, well, then they're, um, they're not equal. That's not fair. That, so why is it that in our family that my that the dad is the head of the family? Why is it that mum takes care of the children? I think that mum and dad should be 50-50. Um, You know, looking at, well, why is it that men are leading the Islam? Why is it not women? Why? You know, you could just, it would just keep being, why, why, why? It's not fair. That's not right. Because she's always been taught to look at, you know, all rules and gender relations that it has to be equal or therefore it's it's not right. Mm. So that's the way it impacts, you know, just some basic about hijab. It's, um, why don't, why don't men have to cover? I'm not going to cover. Men don't have to. Or, well, the list goes on and on. It just causes so many problems.
2: Let me ask you about equality as an idea because, of course, equality sounds like a very good idea. I mean, I mean let's think about the uh, civil rights movement and, of oh. course, racism in America. Uh, it's still uh, a, a problem today in the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we call for, call for equality because, of course, equality raises uh, people... Uh, to be human beings and to be treated as as human beings. Why do you s- single out equality to be a problem when it comes to how men and women should be treated w- in society? Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to just go to uh, explain a little bit of the history of feminism. Yeah. That when it, uh, it when it first started, so we're thinking maybe Wilson, Cough, and first wave feminism. That when John Locke came up with the idea or it, of that you know. Men have equal rights. You know, it was a very rights-based. Um, uh, it's a very rights-based ideology. Maybe Wilson coffe looked at that and said, "Well, why not for women as well? We are just as intelligent. We should have those rights." To, mm. You know, it just seems like that makes complete sense. So then, that's what she. That's where it began. That's what she was calling for. And we have to remember at that time, women in the West were mistreated. So they weren't. You know, didn't have access to education. They couldn't vote. They weren't allowed to go to university. As a wife, they didn't have um, rights to property and inheritance. So that's the um, context we have to remember. So that's what they wanted. So um, and then as the different stages went along, it just kept um, increasing the equality that was wanted. Mm. Where you know, so the sexual rights came into it, the second uh, wave um, feminism. But so equality. So now, when it comes to liberalism uh, and, and feminism. In particular, they have a particular definition of equality and they see that as a solution to creating a better world and creating justice. Now, this is where, as Muslims, we need to understand our deen that what does equality mean in Islam? So, what we do know is that, um, in a, you know, the reward that men and women will get from Allah, as far as the actions that we do, we are viewed equally, we'll be equally rewarded for our salah, for our fasting, you know, etc. So Allah says that I will never deny any of you, male or female, the reward of your deeds. Both are equal in reward. So Allah told us that when it comes to equality, uh, you know, a man is not superior to a woman as far as the reward and blessings that they'll receive. Hmm. Now, the thing that is important in Islam is justice. And Allah says um in the Qur'an, we have already sent our messengers with clear evidence and sent down with them the scripture and the balance, that the people maintain their affairs in justice. Now, so men, women and children, even animals and even non-Muslims, um, they are are given rights and, and within the Islamic law and when the Islamic law is implemented, they gain their justice. So whether it's individuals giving, learning, okay, what rights does each person have over me yeah. or what do they deserve? So justice comes before, in Islam, justice is more important than equality. And this is a whole thing to study, you know. We don't have time to, to go into it in great detail. So here, so it's, that is where we are coming from. And so, but whereas feminism is coming from the point of view of equality. And what they, but what they fail to do is acknowledge that men and women are different. And, um, you know, and uh, f- throughout history, that has always been the case that w- Everyone agrees that yes, there are differences. And therefore, Allah created us. The differences and then the roles and responsibilities we give are given are sometimes different. Sometimes they're the same. So back to, you know, our Hajj, our salah, our fasting, they're the same, but others are different. So whether it's on the dress code, whether it's in the family structure, you know, sometimes you know, we can look at many differences. So as Muslims, we have to be aware of that. And this is one of the things that for our um Youth, in particular, we need to educate them about that. That it's not that we are Islam is the least misogynistic religion. It, um It is more. It's a, based on the reality of human beings that Allah gives us those rules and laws. And let's not just be taken by like, like you said, equality sounds nice. The slogans are so appealing, but we have to be we can't be so shallow in just being taken by uh taken in by slogans we have to think more deeply and understand and inshallah that's what i hope to do in the book some of the chapters are quite long the one of feminism the two chapters on feminism are very long but i thought we have to discuss it in um in a detailed manner to understand okay because i i do uh, our girls are intelligent they can they're just being given a very, feminist. I do find sometimes that they rely on a very, you know, like quick, if we can win them over emotionally on slogans and, and pointing out certain so-called injustices and then we can get them on board. But in Islam, we don't, that's not what we do. We're much more intelligent in our discussions and our critiques.
2: Now, you know, there are some Muslims, especially here in the West, who would say that you're scaremongering. Mm -hmm. Uh, by raising feminism or liberalism as a problem, you're telling girls not to be confident, Mm -hmm. to be submissive um, and limit their aspirations uh, in in a very radical way. Um, Are you endorsing, I don't know, a conservative or a traditional approach uh, when you speak to young girls?
1: Now, it's interesting, those two words, conservative and um, traditional, Mm -hmm they're seen in a negative light now. You know, to be progressive, that's better. To be, you know, open-minded, to be uh, not so strict. They're seen, that's good, whereas traditional and, you know, um, and conservative is bad. And so what I am saying is that whether it's parents, teachers, you know, people in charge of any kind of Islamic organisation who is involved in uh, providing services and, and and education to young girls, what, what we need to do as Muslims is that we need to, um, first, all, I think, be very true to Islam. So the rights that Allah has given uh, women, we need to give them to women and young girls particularly because um, they are very aware, because of the way society now is of any injustice and inequality, they're very keenly aware of it. Mm. So, for example, you know, Allah has given women the right to gain an education, you know, Islamic and, you know, about you know, just like general knowledge as well. <laughs> I can't think of a better word. Um, they have that right. So we should g- allow them to do that. You know, they're allowed to um have access to, for example, just to, you know, to prayer facilities, mm. to scholars, you know, to, there's so much inheritance. You know, the list it, it is is so long, the rights that Allah given. So we as uh adults have to allow them to have that yeah that's really important yeah. so now and when we do that and when we take the time to explain the rules you know when we give them that access and, and also listen to their concerns um then that's when things will get better for them and they won't feel this that islam is restrictive or islam is again that idea that islam is a problem in my life and i need to break free um so it's not that. Um, so I am advocating that yes, we need to be return to a traditional, um, you know, conservative form of Islam based on uh, evidences, based not based on what I like. For example, it's very easy, and I have, uh, as a parent, you know, we feel this as well that we feel protective towards our girls, but also towards our boys. We want don't want them to get involved in, you know, whether it's and I talk about whether it's drugs, alcohol bad company, you know, uh, watching pornography. These are all things that we know is going on, you know, and we think, okay, some Muslim parents might think, the way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of shut everything down. Right. And that's the only way to like save them. But the thing is that you can't, you know, the world nowadays, you can't, uh, I are they never going to have access to the internet? Are they never going to have a mobile phone? They're going to meet friends who are not particularly Islamic. They're going to have non-Muslim friends. These are things that what we have to do is we have to, it's like we have to preempt what is going on that prepare them for the world they're living in and provide them that Islamic framework to deal with those issues with, you know, and the, the thing is society is in the West in particular is getting worse. It's not getting better. But what we have is this treasury of, in, of Islam where we've got this um, way to help our girls and our boys to deal with these issues, it's not going to be plain sailing and they'll make mistakes, but let's at least give them the tools to 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 deal with it.
2: I use the term submissive, and, and I suppose that's the opposite of confident. Um, uh, do you endorse, what type of Muslim girl do you uh, endorse, what type of yeah, perception of a Muslim girl uh, do you find more pleasing? You know, a mm. submissive girl or someone who's confident and able to uh, express themselves and express their islam or their, their knowledge in a in an open um and and clever intelligent mm-hmm.
1: way yeah Alhamdulillah, through my work with um like podcast book and j- just uh, um meet, making an effort to speak to young muslims I've met mushla sisters who young girls who are so confident in islam right. um they're co- as in they ca- like they're confident in their identity um and they're confident in speaking and conveying that to others, whether they're, you know, um, young women who, who write poetry, young women who give circles, you know, I've attended these. And it's it's just amazing. Alhamdulillah, it's lovely meeting them because um, they, they've they've got that balance. And the reason why they've got that balance is that, mashallah, I, they're credit to their parents, but uh, as well as they have gained knowledge about their deen. And, they, and then also they've looked at, some of them in, in the past, they may have tried that lifestyle, the other, the alternative, and they didn't like it, it didn't make them happy. Mm-hmm. And then they've returned back to their to Islam and decided, okay, I'm going to look at my deen, I'm, I need to understand why am I Muslim, why is the Quran the word of Allah, you know, why um, why, why is Allah asking me to do these certain things, so whether it's to wear hijab, to um, be respectful to my parents, to... Gain knowledge to even to getting at work, going to work education. And I find when the two are, when you're given both, that makes a confident Muslimer. And Alhamdulillah, there are much, many girls and women like that. And, but when we restrict them from either, like, I think if the worst thing we can do is to restrict our girls from Islamic knowledge and not put, make it a priority and not invest in that because the parents and the these sisters and young women who have got attended um classes and community events just just therapy they are the ones who are really confident
2: so how important is an atmosphere especially mm. at a young teenage age yeah. how important is it to create an atmosphere maybe in a community or you know and and where do these community groups and atmospheres exist
1: like alhamdulillah it's such a priority because what we need to realise is that our girls are being bombarded It's with um, the feminist narrative about uh, what path they should take in life. So just as, as an example, in school, when I was teaching at schools, the option of if, if, saying that, you know what, after, I, after I've um, studied up to whatever level the girl wanted to, hmm. I'd like to get married, I want to settle down, I want to own a family, I want to take care of my husband, my children, I want to take care of myself, my dean that's what I want to do, you know. And and like, even just to say that, that, it, that a girl, that option is not even presented to them. It's not even available. So they never wear a... So they don't even think of it as a good thing. And so motherhood, um, being a wife, it's that's seen as something you would do after you have a career, career, after you have achieved all the other much better things, more important things. And we can really see that is such a... Um, that comes from second wave feminism you know betty friedan in the she called it you know the problem with no name where women will be bored they will be uh unfulfilled if they stay at home that that was according to her mm. and so if that is never given to our girls and then what they're told is um you just your career and your work is is most important but then also you need to look beautiful you but you need to if you want to get ahead, you need to be quite. Again, you have to present this very sexualized version of yourself that will help you get ahead. Mm-hmm. And then you see this kind of very kind of boss feminism idea, and you know be, whether it's Beyonce um, and other actresses. You know um, the, the list goes the, the Kardashians. This or you know you can make it if you do that. So that's what they're being given. Um, what's the what other voices in their life are telling them that? The opposite, giving them the Islamic alternative. Hmm. That's what we have to think about. That sometimes I find parents will emphasize like education, 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 and they'll send them to tuition. They'll there's so much, and it, to the detriment of any kind like Islamic studies is is like is not that important. The Quran, alhamdulillah, is important, but priority is getting your ed- education is important. And what I'm saying is if it's it's not balanced. They they're not getting a balanced view of life. So. And then parents, what we need to realise is, hold on, we are storing up troubles for later, that are we we creating very um, individualistic uh, adults who all they care about is making money? And this goes for men and our boys and girls. So the priority is, you know, because what's the purpose of all this education? It's to make loads of money Mm. and get ahead that way. So, but then parents need to think, well, what about their Islam? Where will Salah come into this? Where will being respectful to the parents come into it? Where will marriage come into it? This is, so they're getting a very um, uh, lopsided secular version of womanhood, femininity, and goals in life. And what, so as a community, and as like, there's the family that can do a certain amount. There's a community that could prioritise this. Mm. You know, just, I'm just thinking, just imagine a situation where young women on the weekend or once a month, they can go to the community centre. If there was a space in the masjid, that's fine. You know, but the masjid is kind of organising youth groups for the girls. They can go on residentials where you have other, you know, they have role models who, alhamdulillah, who are confident in Islam, um, you know, who are covered correctly, you know, because that is an issue nowadays. Um, But they're telling, like, they're answering their questions. They can ask anything they want about puberty, about boyfriends, about the things that are being, you know, I'm not sure if I, I have doubts about the belief in Allah. But they're not being judged, but they're getting good, solid answers. So that is what we have to do. And we have to fund this. We have to invest time and effort because it's very easy to complain about this. And, uh, but what are we doing to help them? Our girls, they want help.
2: In your book, you talk about why there needs to be uh, serious discussions with young girls, with with teenage girls, about basic sex education, the biological side of sex, as well as some of the challenges that they face uh, living in this society. You talk about the barrage of, of a narrative, and mm-hmm. that narrative includes sort of the sexualization, a very early sexualization of of young girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is an argument and maybe more traditional Muslims will, will put this argument forward. And, you know, we get a lot of viewers from the Muslim world who may say, well, isn't this taking away their innocence too early? I mean, how would you respond to, to mm-hmm. that?
1: There's a excellent book by Louise Perry called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. Hmm. And she really criticises how we now live in a, a very hyper society and how that is causing um, depression um, in girls. It's there's an increase in um, sexual harassment, um, 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 so basically abuse. Uh, and I'd just like to share some figures, um, and I'll I'll get to um, it. Will connect the answers will connect uh, the stats will connect to the answer to your question. Hmm. So the Office for National Statistics says that young women aged 16 to 24 years in the UK. Um, they have said that nearly one-third of them have reported some evidence of depression or anxiety in 2017. Um, And this has increased from the previous year. Um, Rapecrisis.org says the UK is facing a sexual violence pandemic. In 2022, um, uh, nine out of ten girls in high school said they received sexist name-calling and being sent images of a sexual nature And um, has happened to them. And just one final statistic that um, they've said um, uh, 798,000, that's one in 30 women, um, have faced um, some sort of sexual assault. So now the reason why I'm stating this is that is the world that young women are living in. And they are facing... There was, you know, when the um, Sarah Everard case happened where she was killed by um, an assault, raped by a police officer. This website, there um, a lot, there was an outpouring of women coming and saying this kind of thing, whether it's different, varying levels, it has happened to me. A lot of young women talked about in school, high schools in particular, and even in junior schools, how they face harassment and um, so much trouble when it comes to this. So... So this is what our girl's facing. There's also the issue of um, sexual abuse, child abuse in particular. Uh, this is, now, we know this happens in all communities, all faiths. Mm. but And, and um, child abuse can happen by family members and it can happen by strangers and it can happen by relatives. So now the reason why I'm mentioning this is now, if young girls um, have no knowledge of um, their bodies, um, the bodies that are created... The changes that will happen to them, again, which again, Allah has the the life changes that Allah has created within us. Mm. And again, I would say this applies to boys as well. And also, you know, just regarding um, relationships and intimacy, um, the the rule, you know, again, the rules that uh, Allah has put about what is allowed, what is not allowed, what is good, what is bad, what is haram, you know, who's allowed to touch you, who is uh, not, who is Mehram. These are all detailed in our books of hadith, in the books of fiqh. You know, just take basic tahara, you know, and the menstrual cycle and knowing when to be able to pray again, when be, to be able to fast. These are all connected to um, uh, the topic of puberty and sex education. And in our history, you know, um, the fact that the, the books are been written on these, we know these were taught. And I'd just like to give two um, evidences. You know, Aisha, may I a piece of the, said that, how praiseworthy are the women of Ansar? Shyness does not prevent them from having a deeper understanding of religion, and that's in Bukhari. And uh, in another hadith, um, uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, "Ilm, sacred knowledge, is gained is not gained by a shy person, nor an arrogant one." And again, you can I, I would recommend everyone to look these evidences up. Look these um, if you go to any Islam, good Islamic website. They will talk about the need for these. So in Islam, the question we need to ask ourselves is that as a parent and as a community, um, and I'm thinking actually when it comes to women, girls, it would be the mothers, the aunties, the big sisters, the cousins, you know, and the Islamic, female Islamic teachers. Hmm. Should You know, is it permitted for them to talk about these things and teach these things in an Islamic framework? And the answer is a resounding yes. And for the boys, you know, men should teach them this, you know, age appropriate. Men need to teach the young boys and their sons and their nephews, they would teach them. So, of course, it would be separate. Um, so this is what it is because the world we are living in now, girls, uh, our youth need to be equipped to deal with um, uh, predatory behavior but from strangers, you know abuse from relatives and uh, and that's unfortunately from parents sometimes well so that's why i'm saying it's important in communities that's islam madrasas and islamic schools they need to teach this because being in, involved in schools i know of cases uh, and my you know other colleagues of mine they've talked about cases where muslim children they're not aware they weren't aware of these things they they didn't, weren't aware that who you know certain people aren't allowed to touch their private parts. This so, it's it's, it's um, uh, like breaks your heart when you hear about these stories. So therefore, we're doing a disservice if we don't teach our children. The issue that some parents, of course, I to- I totally understand. They don't want to talk about it. That's why I wrote the book. I thought maybe like give the book to your daughter instead, so I can explain it to them or read it, so you can educate yourself, and then you can explain it at the right time for the for your children. And I've had parents who have contacted me and said, you know, my daughter's in year six and someone, sh- uh, someone showed them an explicit video on the phone. I said, what do I do? I don't want to talk to her about this. And I said, but I said, you're going to have to because she's seen these things now. That what is she going to, what, you know, where will she gain her knowledge? And we know there's, you know, Netflix shows called Sex Education. Kids can just go on their phone and they will they can learn and access pornography. They can learn everything. So we need to question ourselves, are we going to let them learn it in the wrong way with no Islamic framework? Or are we going to teach them in the right way? It will be embarrassing. It will be difficult. But the reward is immense. That, that is the, that's why parents get so much reward. We do those difficult jobs. You know, we teach them about, you know, stranger danger. We teach them not to play with matches. You know, there's so many things, uh, physical things, we teach them about, we know. You know, we te- But these things we avoid, maybe because our parents didn't teach us it, And I I totally understand that. But the way things were done before were okay for before. and Maybe they weren't sometimes. But we need to think uh, what's a better way to tackle these new problems that we're facing.
2: So can I ask you about mobile phone use? Um, Now, I know I understand that uh, you can access the whole world on on mobile phones. And, and, you know, if this narrative that you talk about, you know, this very divisive narrative is is hitting our, our young Muslims, well... Today, it's hitting them in their bedrooms. It's mm-hmm. hitting them when they're on the way to school in the playground because they've got these mobile phones. Now, of course, mobile phones can be used for very productive reasons. You know, yeah. In particular, parents need to know where their kids are and it's a good way to uh, to ensure that their, their kids are safe. But at what age would you give uh, a young person a smartphone, a mobile phone?
1: I think there's no need for... a a, a child to have a phone whilst they're in junior school there okay. there's um
2: so so junior school would be up to the age of 11
1: yeah that, okay. that would because they it's it's so addictive so it's a massive distraction and that and then the content that they can access is just um they can access anything that that is that is the problem is you wouldn't let your, your child have you know, if you just take the, let's compare it to food, you won't let them that they could have access to the fridge all the time. Whatever food they want to eat, anytime and no restrictions and you can't even see what, what they're eating. Like we're careful about their food. We're careful about um, so many things. But then when it comes to phones, it seems like just because everyone else is doing it, it's become, it's become normalized. Mm. And then also parents are guilt tripped that, oh, so my, my friend has got it, I need to have it. Now, so I think parents need to, and this is only something only parents can do, have to speak to their children and speak, you know, decide as a family, where, why are we going to give our child a phone? When are we going to give it to them? And also talk to them about the problems that happen with it. That, um, And that's the first thing that we need to, you know, when children go to school, they ask their opinion and they're told they're allowed to make their own decisions. It's gone in many things, and certain aspects. Where as parents, I think we we have to do that. That has to change. Even if we weren't given that when we were children ourselves. Mm. So that's something um, that that would be the first thing. Now, once a child, once a teenager does have a phone, again, you it's pretty hard, you know, restricting it. You know, kids are very clever when it comes to they can get work around, you know, restrictions, but it's about getting them to think about their usage because, it, some, you know, soon they're going to be adults and you don't want them to be dependent on their phone and they need to be able to filter the messages that are coming through that phone. And, you know, because the phone fa- it eats into family time. It, you, know, it, you know, I was speaking to a parent and she was saying that all my daughter wants to do is sit in the bedroom and be on her phone. And so uh, I said to her, you're the parent, you pay the bill you take that phone off her. She does not have to. The excuse is always, going to it's homework, homework. But they're not doing homework 24-7. Like, for example, there should be cut-off times. Like, uh, after a particular time, you decide as the parents or family, that's when you hand your phone in. Or, you know, do the homework in the the shared living space on your laptop. Hmm. You know, they need to know that the parents are watching. And sometimes they just need to know there's rules and they're going to be enforced. That is, you're the parent. It's your... And the idea that they can just—they're dictating, or they're getting—they get, you know, very angry when they're not allowed to have their phone all the time. That's going to be the difficult part. But just because the whole world is allowing—but to be honest, is the whole world really allowing? In the Muslim world, I wonder. Just because a lot of um, teenagers in in you know the UK and US they have constant access, that doesn't make it right. Because again, if you look at studies, if you just go to Pew Research, if you type in, um, you know, um, anxiety levels and, you know, the use of social media, especially on girls, again, it's girls in particular, that how Instagram affects their um, self-esteem, how, you know, it affects their body image. They've said, you know, um, they've admitted that they, you know, and TikTok as well, they've admitted this, that they purposely, you know, the algorithm, it sends girls pictures of very skinny girls or very sexualized images or and it makes them feel terrible about themselves um, and again it starts this cycle of oh, i need to buy things or you know why well, have eating disorders again that's something sue palmer talks about and even um in a very famous book the beauty myth it talks about the rise in um eating disorders amongst girls as you know when when the more images they're shown of you know, these photoshopped uh, models, it's just become so normalised. So Mm. we have to think what it's, um, yes, be, you know, doing your research for homework, you know, safety is important, but there's so many other problems that come with this unrestricted access to mobile phones. And we are basically allowing advertisers and marketers uh, open door to our children. And then also predators and the pornography industry they're, we're allowing our ch- them to access our children, and we wouldn't open that door in real life and allow them into our home. So we have to question, just for peace of mind, and we don't want to hear the nagging. Or just for the we that's not enough of a reason to just hand over a smartphone to, to our children.
2: You've interacted with lots of Muslim parents, and, mm-hmm. and they would have fed back to you on on your book and and yeah. uh, the discussions they've had with their kids. I mean, how much of a problem do you think this is, this narrative that is uh, impacting young Muslim girls?
1: One of these reasons I wrote the book, uh, it's interesting when I read books, um, I'll take a lot of notes. And it just being that's how I, um, I'll read and i take notes so I can understand what's going on. And so I had lots of notes on, you know, because I'm interested in women and girls in Islam. And I had these notes, and then when I started my podcast, people would um, so I talk about feminism in the podcast, um, again, um, uh, social media addiction, and and um, beauty myths, and all the things that I've mentioned. And then I'd get feedback from women and parents, and they were saying, "It's so good to hear someone uh, talk about this." I know, Marshall, there are many other women you're talking about this, uh, but they said that you're you're putting it you're Telling us what does Islam say about it as well that you've looked at a problem, um, and they said, you know what, this is if this is what Islam says, but this is how you can resolve this problem. So, you know, like, um, I've written a, uh, there's another book, it's called Hands Off Our Hijab, and it's and it looks at the different messages given to all Muslim women, young and old, about hijab. Um, and you know, there's again the sexualization of hijab that is happening, and you'll see just going back to you know, when um. When you'll see a Muslim character, the majority of the time, she will not be wearing hijab according to Quran and Sunnah, you know, the correct way. For sure. You know, there was a, there was a character in one of the Spider-Man movies, and everyone was saying, Oh, this is amazing Muslim representation. And um, but if you look at her, she again, they will they will not have the girl cover in Hala they do the same. In um just you know, you can look at many movies, they do they they do that. And it's interesting that um so parents would come saying to me that it's I I ne- was looking for a book um, that I could give to my daughter and I couldn't find one and then and now Alhamdulillah you, you've written this book and I've had youth workers said that we're going to use your book as to do our sessions uh, and other parents said that yeah I'm going to be starting up you, because there's nothing in that area so that like, I'm going to start one up and I'm going to use your book as a template mm. and Mushla there's other youth group workers. And so it just shows there is a need for more material, more content. Um, like for example, uh, I know I know there's some some good books out there, but I think some of them just need to be updated. We need to address the challenges our girls are facing now. And the thing I think one of the reasons why maybe people don't haven't done that is that it takes a long time to research it, and um, and. It, that's it's time consuming so but i think I'd, i would encourage other authors you know other people who muslims who make courses you know that this is a topic worth our communities need this our children need this and i would say the same for young men as well it's equally needed
2: what well, is is there them. anything out there for for young men
1: um i to be honest i haven't seen something that's um for young young boys Muslim, yeah, yeah. that and, I, and parents ask me all the time, have you written one for young boys? And I've said, I, it's taken me a long time just to do this one. And, and so I don't have um, anything to, to say to them, unfortunately. And we know that young men need like um, role models just as much as young Muslim women do. Um, and, and they need to have, and we as a community, I think we can provide it. It's just whether we make it priority and we invest our time and money and effort into this like alhamdulillah if we look at masjids again for when first generation of immigrants alhamdulillah immigrants came like i'm thinking of my parents they were involved in setting up masjids and their priority was yeah we need to have a place to pray we need to have a place for the janazah for ramadan and, and that's brilliant that's what they thought was a priority and but what we can see is the um the world has moved on and we need to move with the world and um and I think masjids could do, a, I think they could do better. I think as a community, we could do so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and shall I pray that anyone listening that's involved in masjids will think about that, that how can we open um, spaces for our youth to feel that the masjid is a place they want to go to, so, uh, not just for the older generation, they should feel welcome. Um, and, you know, and if, again, like I said before, have, a, you know, higher community centres to do that if that's, if it's, it's a lack of space. But if we don't do anything, you know, our kids will, they're just going to be um, mesmerized by the online world and because it's much more exciting, it's more interesting, it's more enticing. And now Islam is not, they're not getting that at the moment. Islam does not seem uh, as enticing in that way. Mm. Um, and But it, what's interesting, even without that work, our youth are still turning up for Jum'al, Alhamdulillah. They still, still go, the masjids are packed during Ramadan. You know, I was just speaking to my niece yesterday that she goes, you know, people are going to Quran classes. They want to go on Umrah. You, you know, they have could do so many other things. They could be in in nightclubs. They could be smoking, but they could be doing so many other bad. But they are choosing Islam. So we need to support them, inshallah.
2: There is a strand of thinking, in particular amongst maybe I mean we can call them conservative Muslims, who say that um, they witness this rapid decline of morality in society, and they argue that maybe the best thing they can do for their children uh, is to just shut them off, shut them uh, from the society, to mm. shut down any of these haram sources. So maybe they pull them out of school uh, and um, and teach them at home, or they put them into an Islamic school. Or maybe even even more than that, there is there are some who I've you know I've heard of um, uh, who say that uh, you know to safeguard our girls, we should stop them from accessing education. Full stop. And mm-hmm. so maybe after secondary education, to compulsory education, we should draw a line and say that um, girls should not have access to further education. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's your thinking about that?
1: That reminds me of the reaction that Muslims had after uh, our lands were colonized. Uh, because what you had um, was that you had these um, non-Muslim colonizers coming to, whether it's India, um, you know, any any of our Muslim lands, and they were then wanting to change the education system. They wanted to take out Islam or aspects of Islam from that and they were introducing new ideas. And, you know, that just horrified the, the Muslims that what is going to happen if we send our um, sons and daughters to these schools, daughters in particular, they're going to be brainwashed. They're going to become like these colonizers and adopt their way of thinking and our children will be lost. So the way some reacted to it was, again, this shutdown that we're we're not going to let them go to anything. We're going to keep them at home. And, you know, we weren't there at that time to witness what was happening, that we can, you know, so that's how they dealt with it. But the the better way to deal with this is that we always look to, well, what does... um the Qur'an and Sunnah say about this, that when it comes to education of girls, what we will find if we if someone goes to the um uh to, to gain to to the sunnah with an open eye, not with a preconceived view that I'm gonna look for the ruling I want, they will genuinely find that Allah has permitted education for men and women. You know, of course there are some things that both genders are not permitted to study, you know, there's um but within what is permitted in Islam, um you know men and women can gain knowledge you know and they can go to school you know it would whether it's in the muslim world it was chosen that at a certain age that it would be separated uh, you know that's fine but even in a mixed gender environment um to go and study a girl can do that and so to so that's first that has to be like the base where it starts from now what you then do so you equip your daughter to be aware of so just as an example like in schools they teach evolution you know i was taught evolution Uh, Mm -hmm. you know it's still taught but we don't when we look at evolution we make an effort to teach our kids belief in allah and we'll explain to them why evolution is wrong or they're decided we don't have this thing that no our children can't learn science just because evolution is there we uh we look at it in that way that now we've explained why we do we are not evolved from apes, uh, you know, the whole you know uh, explanation. And then so so then we know okay, they may learn it, but they're not gonna believe in it, they're not gonna adopt it. Same for like going to RV lessons. Our you know, kids will learn about the other religions, but they don't adopt it. And so when it comes to so that's the same mental if we just um Make the effort to teach them and, and explain, look, they have a certain ideas you're going to be exposed to at school. That is what they believe. You know, again, it's, you know, that's what they believe. We do not believe that, you know, we, you make them. Fir- we make our children firm in our belief and we can take the time and effort to do that. Um, as parents or sending them as well to places to help you know to classes so what they're learning in school and they're, what they're learning in the islamic classes and youth groups it's like cementing it and confirming that and making them confident and so therefore that's how you tackle that issue but to take them to cut off their education it can it can potentially lead, lead to resentment because at some point they're going to be an adult and they may turn around and think well I didn't like that that was done to me, that I wasn't given the opportunities to, uh, you know, whatever the occupation they wanted to become and they were really good at, but they were kept at home or they were restricted. And they that's when they will then think, you know, Islam is the problem here. Islam is restricting me. My parents, you know, are, I'm not going to obey my or listen to my parents because that's what they did to me. That's where resentment comes in. But it's come because we've chosen not to... um you know, follow Islam really. Um, it's, it's similar to you know see that when it comes to if um, you know um, if you if the girls are told well you can't let's say you say to them you can't go swimming. Now okay in okay they can um, a woman cannot go swimming in a mixed gender swimming pool at bath. But for example, you can make the effort to find single sex swimming pools. I, I know you know there's lots of things that like have Muslim community organise swimming sessions just for women if you said to them, no, you can't go swimming, rather than making the effort to find a way for them to, um, again, that's when um, doubts arise and problems happen.
2: Finally, um, what can the Muslim community do here in the West to help young women feel Islam is not a problem?
1: Um, One of the things I think is that, you know, on uh, the, the discourse, especially on YouTube, for example, It seems like there's a lot of uh, it's like there's gender wars going on and you will have um, uh, uh, male YouTubers who've decided that they want to choose a bit of an aggressive. When it comes to talking about women, it talks about the problems of feminism instead of doing it in a calm, intelligent, nuanced way uh, and addressing the genuine concerns that Muslim women and girls have. It's done in a very, like, they just want to have a fight. And it's about getting clicks and, and views. And what we need to think is, what does that achieve? Um, seriously, what, what does that, it? Um, you just, okay, so you won the argument. You put, you took down the feminists or you, you know, this a uh, feminist hijabi who is doing this, or even just a hijabi who's doing something wrong. You've exposed her and, but the, what, we need to realize the effect that that has on Muslim girls um and women is it's um it doesn 't warm them to Islam it puts them off Islam and the other thing that we need to realize is that in our communities our communities are we have problems because we 're not angels and we make mistakes and it, Muslim women are mistreated just like actually just like Muslim men are mistreated but whether it 's domestic violence is a problem um Controlling too much control, like uh, OTT control on and restrictions on um, daughters and wives, um, it is an issue. It puts women off of some, you know. Um, and the access to knowledge, Islamic knowledge, is an issue. Like it seems really strange that we will, as a community, complain when we see Muslim um, women influencers. Who are you know? Who are doing all the things with this, whether it's makeup, whether it's the type of clothes, and and you know, we will have a problem with that. But then, what? A, but the doors to um, girls and being encouraged to gain Islamic knowledge are not full as open as they are to men. And that's again, I'm saying that as someone who um, that's just what I have observed and what I hear from women. So the what we need to do is that we um, Allah tells us to be, there's cooperation. Men and women, we cooperate. Mutual cooperation, when one part of the body hurts, the other part, you know, feels the pain. So as, a, you know, the men and women of our ummah, if they're hurting, um, we need to think, how can we help, how can we support them? It doesn't mean we change Islam, uh, like some um, Muslim feminist thinkers, like, for example, Amina Wadud, women like herself and Asma Barlas. Um, What they will propose is that, well, if um, this is a problem, then we should have um, female uh, women leading Salah, that hijab is actually, it's a choice. What they'll do is they'll give the very liberal progressive solution to it. And And I'm saying, no, that's not what we do. What we do is we, if we just, I'm saying, give our girls and daughters more Islam, be empathetic, listen to their concerns and address them. That's all. If they felt they were more listened to, they wouldn't feel the need to go to other to other avenues to then feel heard. Because one thing you will find is that uh, one thing I would um, is is a, a good thing about feminists is that they do talk about the problems that women face. That and because they do, women of all faiths or no faith feel they go to them, and as as a community. That's what we should be doing. Our young girls should, shouldn't feel scared when they talk to their parents, like when they've made a mistake. And our masjids, or our community-centered organization, right. young Muslim women should feel welcome. And also, there is the idea of they shouldn't feel judged. Yeah, I was so impressed by the work of Lucia Masjid that if they get, they were talking about how, you know, um, men can go in there with tattoos and they feel o- okay, that they can talk to the imam. Girls who aren't wearing hijab or girls who are who don't know about islam but and they just want to they should feel welcome in masjids as well and communities so inshallah i pray that that is what we we realize the priority of that and and begin that work inshallah
2: for Amin, jazakallah khair for your time today
1: jazakallah khair
2: please remember to subscribe to our social media and youtube channels and head over to our website thinkingmuslim.com